So I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. Um, God, just thank you for the opportunity to come here today um, and just have um, a few minutes to pause and find space for ourselves. Um, in your name, amen. So I told the first service, and I'm going to tell you too, that I hated the idea of doing this online. And then I did it online and decided that I liked it better. And now it's awkward coming back to doing this. So if I'm awkward, that's why. Um, there's nothing. What? You're on both now. I know. That doesn't help me at all. Why did you have to remind me? Thank you so much for that. Anyways, if I'm awkward, that's why. That has nothing to do with anything other than I just needed you to know. So, um, <laughs> There, uh, especially as we're coming to whatever phase of the pandemic this is, the middle of the end, I don't, no one knows. Um, but we've been seeing a lot about um, like, how are we gonna recover from all of this? Like and it took like a really strong mental toll on everyone, I guess. Um, if it didn't for you, then congratulations, you're an anomaly. Um, but <laughs> so there's been a lot of this information about mindfulness and self-care. And if your brain works the way mine does, um, I went down this like rabbit hole of what is self-care? What does this even mean? Why are we talking about this? How do we apply this to our lives in a way that's practical? And then I started wondering like as a Christian or a person who like su subscribes to Christianity or the Bible, what does this look like? Is it important? Should we do it? And why? Um, and then I started thinking about what I was taught growing up and essentially I was taught that like as a individual you don't matter so it's like a totem pole right so God's on top other people in the middle and then you're like way down on the bottom and your priorities don't matter so when it comes like if that's the hierarchy that I was taught Christianity subscribed to where does self-care fit into that because we're not supposed to care about ourselves and if I come last is it selfish to perform self-care in any way shape or form and isn't selfishness like the worst deadly sin and at least for me, that's how I felt growing up. That's what I was taught. Um, and so I was kind of scared coming into this of like, self-care, is that something that we need to do? And um, so I learned this very unhealthy codependency that I'm having to now rewrite the script of. And I started hearing about self-care first really in college, uh, which was kind of like the beginning of my deconstruction. So I was really deep entrenched in this unhealthy codependency of everybody else comes first and if I make everyone else happy then that will kind of like pour over onto me and I'll be happy too and um, so when I started hearing about self-care I was like absolutely not that is not something I subscribe to like this is I'm not doing this like I don't matter that's still like kind of where I'm at that's where I'm camping and I'm not gonna change in any way shape or form but as I matured and continued through my deconstruction, I started to wonder, maybe this isn't what God had planned for us. Maybe this isn't something that I want to participate in. And especially as I had kids um, and society in general, but specifically in Christian circles, because that's what I'm familiar with, moms are expected to like give their all to their kids. And so when I had kids, I like completely abandoned myself and I poured everything, all of who I was, into my my kid and I it was so difficult and so exhausting that I started to resent my husband I started to resent my kid I started to want to run away just all of these like scary intrusive thoughts because I was burnt out <laughs> I mean he was an infant and I was I had literally replaced everything that made me who I was before with being a mom and that was all I was and I 
was like, this is not what I want for my kid. I don't want my kid to grow up and think, now my kids, to grow up and think that this is the way that we're supposed to live our life, that we don't matter and everyone else is more important and you're supposed to just like abandon yourself completely to make everyone else happy. So if that's not what I want for my kids, this God who claims the title of father would ideally not want that for his kids either, right? So what does that look like? And where do I kind of go with this? And if God wants more for us as children, as their children, um, where does that leave self-care? And if I'm feeling burnout, this is something that's absolutely very real on every level. Um, and so uh, what I was experiencing was called caretaker burnout. And um, I think this is probably the most well-known form of caretaker or of burnout, at least for me. Um, so people that are taking care of someone, social workers, pastors, therapists, moms, um, but everybody can experience burnout. It's not just caretakers. And so the dictionary describes burnout as emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion from prolonged stress. And I would venture to say that after a year and a half in a pandemic, uh, we're all feeling a little burnout out with life and with the chaos that's, and the stress that's been around us for um, quite some time that seems to never be coming to an end, um, at least an end as we would consider it. Um, so a quick Google will tell you that kind of this burnout that we're feeling as a culture, everyone's saying self-care is the antidote. And if you look up self-care, there's all of this stuff that's like kind of self-pampering. Um, so it's like, if you're stressed, go take a bubble bath, listen to some music that you like, um, which is all great and definitely a part of self-care, but it's more reactive. And if we want to live a life of self-care, should we wait until we're burnt out to perform self-care or should it be a part of something that we're doing every day? And I think that things like bubble baths and listening to music that we like are definitely a part of it, but it's not the whole picture. And Christian circles, in my experience, teach self-care um, in one of two ways. So the first way is how I was taught, that it's unhealthy and selfish. Um, there's actually a magazine that I won't name that has an article titled, The Insanity of Self-Care. Um, and it goes on to say that if you find yourself if you find only yourself, your weakness and stress will only be amplified. And then it goes on to talk about the verse in Matthew 11, which is on the back of your bulletin, if you wanna um, read through it. But it talks, um, that it's the verse that says, where Jesus is saying like, give me your burdens and um, my yoke is easy and light. So they're using this verse as a way to like sweep your stress and all of it under the rug. Pretend like it doesn't exist, give your burdens to Jesus, and just move on with your life. So I worked in a church prior to coming here, um, and I was a full-time volunteer. So I worked anywhere from 40 to 60 hours a week for free. And I, anytime I would bring it up to someone that was in a position of authority, I would say, I am exhausted, this is hard, like I still have another job that I have to do. I'm also a student. Like. There's so much that I'm giving. Is there anything that can be taken off of my plate? And they would always tell me, um, you're feeling exhausted because you're on the edge of a breakthrough or you're, you're like on the edge of this super massive, amazing like event that's gonna happen and the devil's trying to stop you. And so you just have to keep pushing because 
every, you're doing a great job, everyone's happy, everyone's excited, just keep pushing and like eventually you'll feel that happiness and excitement too. So again, this codependency, this everyone else is happy so therefore it will carry over to me. Um, and I think a lot of churches teach this way, um, but we're kind of seeing a move towards more of the other end of the spectrum of again, this like self pampering, self care kind of teaching. Um, but this is very exclusive and it really doesn't take into consideration the very real lived experiences of some people. So if you are stressed because you can't pay your bills, a bubble bath isn't gonna fix that. Like it's not gonna put money in the bank account, right? So how can we see self-care as not so much reactive and more to prevent burnout from happening? And a podcast that I listen to pretty regularly, um, it's a theological podcast, but one of the hosts, she goes into this deep dive on self-care and she actually um, described self-care or defined self-care, excuse me, as creating a life that you don't want to escape from. And I think Jesus in his lifetime um, lived him, his life in this way. And he was showing us that rest and self-care are important and they are, it's a way of life. It's not necessarily prescribing to these textbook rules of like self-care looks like taking a bubble bath. And um, it rest has been around since the beginning of time. And even in the Ten Commandments, we see there's a whole commandment dedicated to the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is what was used in Jesus's culture as a day of rest. And it's defined as a day of abstinence from work. And there are a lot of rules built around this um, day, you weren't allowed to do really anything other than, than survive on the day of Sabbath. And Jesus is reprimanded several times uh, for working on the Sabbath. So one of these instances is in John chapter 5, where Jesus heals a man who cannot walk. And religious officials see this and they're like ready to go. They're like, we've got him. This is kind of like one of those gotcha moments. Like we've, we can we can take him down with this because he's breaking all of the rules. He's not supposed to work on the Sabbath and he's choosing to do so. And I think Jesus was sending a message, not the message that it looks like on face value of like, the work is more important than the rest. So it doesn't matter that it's supposed to be a day of rest. I'm gonna do it anyways. And I think Jesus was saying, we can do both. We can work and rest and we can live a life of rest while still doing the work. Um, and it, it can all fit in together. We don't have to just take one day off. We can live our lives in such a way that it's Sabbath all the time, right? And not necessarily abstaining from work in all instances, but valuing ourselves and our life and living in a way that we are important as well. And Jesus does take rest importantly. So if we look at his life as a whole and his ministry as a whole, we can definitely see this kind of repeated over and over, that Jesus is taking a new approach to rest that doesn't involve following the textbook of rules about Sabbath, but involves, or that is, encompasses a way of living. So we see in Mark chapter four, again, this is on your bulletin, verses 35 through 40, um, Jesus has told his disciples, um, hey, we need to take a break, we need to get away. Let's go and sail to the other side of this body of water. I don't know what kind of water it is. I'm, I'm going to say it's a lake because that's what it is in my mind. And so they're on this really big lake and Jesus lays down to take a nap. That's why they're there. They're taking a break. And a storm comes 
and the disciples are running around. It's chaos. They're trying to do all of the things to prevent the boat from sinking. And they go and they wake up Jesus and they're like, what are you doing? Like, why are you taking a nap right now? Can you not see that there's a bunch of stuff going on and we need your help? And it, I can picture Jesus waking up and he's like groggy and he's rubbing his eyes. He's like, why are y'all freaking out? What's going on? And he says two words. He says, be still. And he was talking to the storm, but he was also telling, like reminding the disciples, why are we here? Like, yes, there's work to be done. Yes, we're headed to the next job. And it, it feels like everything is falling apart around us, but we are here to be still. I am resting and I'm taking a nap because that is what I need in this moment. It can wait. We're allowed to prioritize ourselves. We are allowed to rest, even in the midst of the storm. So be still, just rest. We can handle it tomorrow. We can handle it in an hour. We can handle it later. Um, stop trying to do it all. Stop trying to keep the boat from sinking at every waking moment. You are allowed to take a break. Um, so he didn't join in on the rushing. He reminded them to be still. And we see again in Matthew 14, when Jesus feeds the 5,000. So again, he's telling the disciples, we need to go and we need to find a place to take a break, um, to get some solitude so that we've, we've been working with a lot of people. We've been very busy. I need some space. So they get on a boat and go to this place that is supposed to be secluded. And when they get there, there's a large crowd of people. And Jesus gets off the boat. And reading the story, the way that I read it is, what I would do is if I was like on my way home to take a break and I showed up and there's like all these people there and they're expecting me to like take care of them and heal their sick and do all these things that they were, Jesus was expected to do, I would be like, oh man, this isn't what I wanted. And I would be mad and I would reluctantly do it because it was the expectation and it was the thing that I had to do. And so when I was preparing for this, I Googled Jesus and rest. And this is the first story that came up. And I was like, isn't rest like he was headed to take a break and that was not what he did so what is happening and I just kept reading and rereading and rereading and like every version of the story um, that I could find and I came across this word in verse 14 um, and it says that Jesus had compassion on them so Jesus's brain likely didn't work the way that mine did um, and he didn't show up and feel guilty like, if I don't do this, they're all going to hate me. If I don't do this today, right this second, um, they're not gonna, it's not going to happen for them at all. No, he had compassion on them. He wanted to take a break, but when he showed up, he decided that he loved them and he wanted to do that too. And he was able to fit in both. Because in the end, he sends them away and he takes the break that he needed anyways. So he does both. He prioritizes both. It's not Sabbath or every other day of the week. It's Sabbath and so we do both. You can incorporate it all into every day of your life. And he was caring for himself. He was living a life that he wanted to live. So not a life that he was expected to live, not a life of guilt or of shame, but the life that he wanted. He was writing his own story and creating the life that he wanted for himself. And in the end, again, he set the boundary and took the time that he needed to take a break. And I also want to note that it's um, important here. We recognize Jesus wasn't doing this on his own. His disciples were with him. And they had another job that they needed to get to uh, after they were taking the supposed break. And he sends the disciples on to the next job. 
and he stays and has his moment of rest that he needed. And as a mom, you hear a lot, it takes a village to raise a child, which is absolutely true, but I think it takes a village to do anything. And companies hire employees because one person can't do it all. And you are allowed to delegate. You're not, you don't have to take on this. You're not expected to do it all. And I think our culture has this ever on um, expectation of you're constantly available. Moms are the one to do it all. Like they raise their kids, they work full time, they cook, they clean, they do the laundry. They are everything for everybody all the time. Employees are expected to answer the phone every time it rings. Your phone is in your pocket so you can respond to the email at 3 a.m. no matter what, right? So we have this just expectation to always be available. And we don't take the time to rest. But is that a life that you're proud of? Is that a life that you want to be a part of? Or is, are you just doing what you're expected to do? Jesus wasn't doing what he was expected to do. He was doing what he wanted to do. He showed up and he had compassion on them. He didn't do it because he had to. Self-care looks like bringing a piece of the garden, the int original intent of the garden to the here and now. So as Rob would say, bringing heaven to earth now. And so living a life, living your life in a way that not just the God that you have been taught of is proud of, but a life that you're proud of. And that doesn't mean you have to be like Mother Teresa and leave this everlasting, like remarkable life that everyone will talk about for generations and generations. It means simply doing the thing that you love and doing it because you love it, because you want to and resting when you need rest, asking for help without shame when you need help, finding your village, whatever that village might look like, and bringing heaven to the here and now for you too, because you matter, not everyone else. I mean, people, other people are important, but you matter too, and you have to matter to you. And as cliche as it is, and I hear this all the time of, you can't love other people if you don't love yourself. And I always thought that this meant that I am incapable of loving if I can't love myself, that I have to like love every part of me and be proud of every part of me or I can't love other people. And I don't think that's what this means. Um, it's not necessarily that there's an inability to love, but that if you're burnout and you're running on empty and you're doing things out of obligation, and constantly feeling like you have to do something, it's not love. But if you're making time for yourself and you are taking care of yourself and living your life in a way that you want to live and you're doing something to care for others because you want to and not because you're expected to, that is love. So it requires you to love yourself in order to be able to love someone else, but not because there's an inability to love. And to be honest, I'm still learning what this looks like. Um, I will probably be on a lifelong journey of healing from codependency and learning how to take care of myself and prioritize myself. Um, but one thing I do know is it starts with setting good boundaries, learning how to say no. So uh, we were talking about this last night, actually. Um, there's friends, employees come to him at work and they, um, they're very shorthanded right now and very overworked and everyone's exhausted. <laughs> and he's had several people tell him like, I, I can't do this, like I'm exhausted, there's so much. And he's having to remind them like, if someone gives you a project and you can't do it, you're allowed to say no. There's, you're not expected to do everything at 110%, 110% of the time, that's not possible. And no one's gonna be mad at you because you said no. And we can apply that to every aspect of our lives. If you can't do it, don't. 
Say no. Set good boundaries. Live a life that you are proud of because you matter. You have to matter to you or everyone else is going to assume that you're okay with being treated like a doormat. You have to advocate for yourself. And if you expect, if you are taking care of everyone else and expecting everyone else to take care of you, that's an unrealistic expectation and you and everyone else around you are going to end up frustrated and disappointed. Those relationships are not going to work. And um, one more thing that I want to mention is this can't be done on the micro level. So our country experiences systemic levels of oppression and self-care is not going to eliminate that. So if you're feeling burnout because of racism or ableism or any of the other isms, you aren't going to self-care your way out of that. Um, we need to see change on a global systemic level and we're not going to self-care our way into a new world. Um, we need a, a large-scale overhaul, um, but that starts with taking care of you. You aren't going to be able to be an ally or help dismantle these oppressive systems if you're not taking care of yourself. Um, so in closing, I, want to, I just want to say burnout is very, very real. It's something that um, probably all of us are experiencing right now, um, but it's not something that God gave us to teach us a lesson. And it's not to make you better, make you stronger, make you more faithful. It, we need to rewrite the idea that God won't give you more than you can handle. Um, we are experiencing record levels of burnout in our country. Obviously, we have more than we can handle. We've taken on too much. And burnout is a way of our bodies to communicate, to tell us something's missing. Uh, we're not getting something. All of our emotions are just a way of our bodies communicating to us that we need something. So instead of giving it to Jesus and sweeping it under the rug and pretending like it doesn't exist, sit in that. What Jesus was as an example of was doing both and. So resting and doing the work. Living rest as a way of life. Learning to say no. Learning to set those boundaries. Using the village that's around you in whatever capacity that you can. In whatever way that's available to you. So get curious. What is the burnout telling you? What is the stress telling you about yourself, about what you need? Unrealistic societal expectations and systemic oppression contribute in large to burnout. Um, but we can start with setting good boundaries and then tackle that, more, that larger, more macro um, picture. But in the meantime, um, we can lean into the fact that God wants us to find ourselves valuable that your time, your mind, your body are valuable. You are valuable and you need to treat yourself as such. Learn to say no, rest when you need it, ask for help without shame, and find joy by doing the things that you want to do, not just the things that are expected of you. I'm gonna pray and then we're done. Um, God, thank you for reminding us that we are valuable um, and for giving us space to pause and just help us learn to go into this week and the rest of our lives by living in a way that honors our own bodies and not just prioritizes everyone and everything else. Learn us to say, help us learn to say no when we need to. Uh, in your name, amen.